The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Thank you, choir. So I'd like to invite Karina and Quinn and Hayden to bring their chairs forward. And just create a nice little arc. For those of you, if this is your first time here, um, we have the kids think of big life questions that they're holding in their hearts and in their minds. And because we had a group of 10 this year, it might have been a little long mostly for them to answer 10 questions and it sure would have been hard for Vanessa and me. <laughs> so we grouped them and they voted these three questions. And so we're gonna begin with our first question. And our questioners are, can you just say your names out loud so people can hear you? And so their question is, why do we feel nostalgia? Of all the questions I've been asked over the years, this is the first time a Rites of Passage class has inquired about nostalgia. Honestly, you all seem a little young to be thinking about the past. But these last two years, the pandemic, I imagine has you thinking about the old days a time where you didn't wear masks, spend hours on Zoom, hang out with your pod people, or God forbid, your parents. When the world events shake us up, like the pandemic or a natural disaster or a war, it helps us to look back and remember the special times where we felt a sense of connection and community. Did you know that the word nostalgia traces back to the Greeks, famous for their myths and stories of odyssey and adventure? In Greek, the word nostos means homecoming, and algos means ache. Nostos algos, nostalgia, describes that ache, that longing to feel connected where you were able to be you. Home might be a physical home, your neighborhood, your school. It might be time you spent on a sports team, maybe in a barn where you saddled up horses. Maybe it was a game you used to play with your friends. Now, when I was young, one of my favorite games was sardines. Any sardine players out here? Oh, good, a few of you, good. Uh, so sardines is a reverse hide-and-seek. One person is the hider, and all the others are seekers. When a seeker found the hider, they would hide with them until everyone was squeezed in like a can of? There you go. So I grew up on an old farm. It, we had dogs and cats and chickens. We had an old horse, some sheep, and ducks. It was a perfect place to play sardines. There were lots of barns and outbuildings where you could hide. 
but my favorite hiding spots were in the upper barn. It was huge, about half the size, maybe, of this sanctuary, and it was stacked high with broken furniture and discarded toys and farm equipment and an old horse carriage, costumes, and, of course, bales of hay. It was dark and dusty and really hot. You could hear mice scurrying across the floor, and birds would build their nests way up in the eaves. It was a great place to hide. Lots of nooks and crannies where you could burrow down. The trick of a good game of sardines was to be still, as quiet as possible, while others went looking for you. And when someone found you, they had to squeeze in with you, and then both of you had to be super quiet. When each new with each new kid, the space would get tighter and tighter, and soon you were all piled on top of each other, making it hard to breathe and even harder to keep quiet. But the best part was when the last person found, found you and jumped on top of the pile, making everybody burst out with laughter, and we would spill out onto the floor. What I loved about sardines and all the games we used to play was the fun of being part of a gang of neighborhood kids, the freedom to run and to go on adventures, how we took care of each other, dared each other, and how our laughter would just linger into the long ends of the day. I don't know if anyone plays sardines anymore, but it's good to know that games and Good-natured pranks and surprises, like the Rickroll, are still being played. And so speaking of surprises, did you know that your class represents the 29th Rites of Passage class? The ones who started are just shy of turning 40. They probably have some nostalgia. Over the years, I've watched how each rites of passage generation brings something special, often surprising, and wonderfully unique to this congregation. When we feel nostalgic, we connect with those moments and memories in our lives that we treasure and hold dear. We're going to have to wait a few years to see how you'll look back on this moment in time Time will tell. But what I can tell you is that all, all of us here, we're never, ever going to give you up. And you will always be welcome home. Henley and Sammy and Hannah to sit with me because they gave me this other question. I kind of wish we could do this every week, actually. So you three asked, is pain experienced as bad by everyone, right? Good, because that's what I answered. So, it occurred to me, if you've seen their sashes where they write P 
pieces of what's important to them or their kites, a lot of them have scientific images or uh, math images. So when I heard this, I first thought I should probably just get a neurologist to tell you what the answer to this question is. But you ask me, so you're going to get my answer. So here's the physical part of it. I'm pretty sure that we don't know how everybody experiences pain. Like, we don't know if everybody sees blue the same, right? But my suspicion is that we don't. And it's mostly drawn from the very scientific experiment of my daughter, who once, as a toddler, started pulling on her ear and was running a fever. So we took her to the pediatrician who said, your daughter has an earache, which is a very mild reaction that for her to show for having an earache. So when she was old enough to talk one time, she said, my ear feels funny. So I took her right in the car to the pediatrician without an appointment, and he asked her after looking in her ear, how does your ear feel? And she said, just feels weird. And he said, he'd been around forever then, he was very close to retirement, and he said, if my ear looked the way your ear looked, I would say I was feeling in a lot of pain. So I'm thinking, we probably don't all experience pain the same way. Clearly, Lila Menezes doesn't feel ear pain in her ear the way a lot of us do. But I imagine that your question is also about how we feel pain or understand it in our heads and our hearts, not just in our bodies. And do we all think it's bad when we feel something we call pain? And I do think that part of becoming wiser and more grown up and having more life experience is that we realize that some pain is just a natural part of life and some pain that we go through is even part of the journey to make us better and stronger. So let me give you an example. The first time you ever tried to run a mile or fast around a track at school or in the gym, if you were like me, or wheel around the track, if you're in a wheelchair, you would feel in your arms or your legs or your lungs a lot of pain, right? But then if you kept doing it week after week, regularly, it would get easier and you'd have less pain until finally maybe when you did it, it was easy and it felt powerful and you felt strong, right? So the next time you tried to do something new, right, maybe you tried to use different muscles and give them a workout. Maybe the first time you practiced a new sport or tried a dance class or took a voice lesson and felt your vocal cords soar. You'd see that pain a little differently, right? You'd think, oh, I know this. This is what happens maybe in the beginning of a really exciting journey to becoming good at something that's really fun to be strong and good at. So your understanding of pain would be different. And someone who'd never had that experience would experience the pain of that moment probably a lot less hmm, joyfully. Does that make sense? Maybe? Okay. So one more thing. I think that there can be a similar truth to emotional pain, like grief or fear or anxiety. So for instance, my daughter, my only child is going to go away to college next fall. I'm assuming she's going to go away to college, unless she has a big surprise for us. But no matter what, she's probably leaving home. 
That is going to be super emotionally hard for me. Even thinking about it right now is super emotionally hard for me. I'm going to have an empty house. I'm going to miss her a lot. But I won't think of that pain as bad because I remember leaving home at 18 and I remember it was the beginning of this whole exciting chapter of growing and learning and learning about myself and having adventures in the world. And I'm pretty sure the same's gonna be true for Lila. So it will still be painful when she leaves, but I won't experience that pain the same way I would if I hadn't had the wisdom and experience of my own life, because I'll know that this moment is necessary and even good. So it won't feel so painful. And here's one last piece that your question made me think about. I think maybe as we grow spiritually, emotionally, into wise people, that we start to figure out what is necessary pain on the road to growth or part of life and what is unnecessary pain. So for instance, do you remember that I don't know if you've seen or been in worship enough to know that each week we recognize people who have lost their lives to COVID or the children who were imprisoned um, at the, in our detention centers in our nation, and we recognize the pain of that. And at the very end of that ritual, when we strike the gong, that's usually right here, we say, may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Do you, have you ever heard us say that? Well, we say it. Suffering for me is the word we use for the pain that is bad for everyone because it's not necessary and it's not a part of any growth. Or at least, at least that's, if we have any growth, it's just a side effect. It's just an, it's, it's particularly hard and unnecessary, like a child who doesn't have enough food, right? Or the people who are living through war right now, a war that doesn't need to happen. It's important, I think, that we all keep all of us an understanding of the difference between pain that's good for growth and pain that doesn't serve anybody that's suffering. Because then we are aware of the pain that we have to ease the tide of in our own lives, right? So then, as we grow in our sense of wisdom and compassion, we also grow in the conviction that we use our growing powers, the powers we understand to make things happen in the world, to ease that pain. Because that's the one we don't see a reason for. So that's what your question made me think of, all of that. And it was super helpful for helping me clarify some of what I believe, actually. Did it get to what you were asking? <laughs> yeah. Thank you for asking it. Okay, it's our final questioners. We're gonna have Moxie and Marcello and Theo and Anakin to come and join me. You wanna bring your chairs up? 
Otherwise, I have to yell all the way over to you. So, Monty, just pull a little closer to Anakin so Marcelo can get in and Marcelo, yeah. So, can you all just say your names in case everybody doesn't know you? Uh, my name is Theo. Okay, you guys, this is everybody. Everybody, this is those guys. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, you had an interesting question. You did. You don't remember? Yeah. Well, we, you know, you, Moxie, you proxied into this question. So, the question is, why is joy important? I'm going to go out on a limb here but I'm pretty sure I know two things that bring the four of you joy. Playing video games and football, at least for one. My guess is you like the challenge, learning new skills that make your mind and body sharper and stronger, which makes you a better player. No doubt winning feels good. And let's not forget, it's fun. To me, the beautiful thing about joy, whether it's video gaming, football, walks in the woods, a funny joke that makes you cry from laughing, is how it makes your heart happy. It makes you feel alive. It makes you grateful to be alive. And that's why joy is important. I have a word for that joyful, alive feeling. It's the whoosh. That's the going down the slide, feeling when you're, like you're just gonna let go and be in the moment. It's important that we have that whoosh moment every day. Maybe you'll catch a joyful whoosh when you hear a good song on Spotify or watching a fun movie. Maybe the whoosh of joy comes when you're skiing down a mountain or you jump onto your bike. There's a special kind of joy that happens when you help someone out bring a meal to someone who's sick, or maybe knowing the four of you, give them help with their math homework. You could be a joy detective, keep a journal, and write down all the places you witnessed joy. Maybe it was on the playground, or dinner with your family, or coming to church. <laughs> what happened this week that made you feel alive, happy, grateful, Write down all the wishes in your joy journal. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the pandemic has made finding the whoosh a little harder than usual. To help, I've decided to make sure that I joyify each day. It could be as simple as a smile, as someone you're walk as you're walking down the street, or making someone laugh. There is nothing better than the sound of laughter. During the worst of the pandemic, I baked cookies and brought them to my friends. And then my friends baked cookies for me. It was a double whoosh. So I'm curious, have you heard of the pep talk hotline? Oh, you have, interesting. So pep talk, for those of you who don't know, was the brainchild of some students at Westside Elementary School in Healdsburg. With the help from their art teacher, Miss Martin, who was inspired by her students' positive attitude despite all the challenges around them, wildfires, droughts, the pandemic, 
They came up with pep talk. Ms. Martin says, I thought, you know, with the world being as it is, we really needed to hear from them, their extraordinary advice and their continual joy. So on February 26th, the class launched pep talk, providing words of encouragement to those in need of some pepping up. When you call, you will hear the voices of children offering you a menu option with prompts. If you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press one. <laughs> if you feel like you need words of encouragement and life advice, press two. If you need a pep talk from some kindergartners, press three. If you need to hear kids laughing with delight, press four. For encouragement in Spanish, press five. So depending on what you choose, you'll get a message like, be grateful for yourself, or if you're feeling unbalanced, think of groundhogs, or bro, you look great. My favorite one, yes, I have called a few times, <laughs> is the prompt from kindergartners laughing. Let's take a listen. Hold on. No. Is this on, Jonathan? One more time. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Pretty good, huh? <laughs> you can't beat that. I've had everybody's joy booster just went up. Okay. Well, now I'm going to give you the phone number so you can. So here's the thing. Kids get it. We all need joy in our lives. It's what keeps us going. So the important thing is to practice joy every day. Share your joy. Don't keep it all to yourself. Bring joy to someone who needs a joy booster. And remember these joyful words from one very special first grader. The world is better because you are in it. I'm Danielle. I've been a member of UUSF for 13 years, and Miles, my four-year-old, is in religious education now. Last Sunday, we launched our 2022-2023 annual fund drive, and I want to share some of my own experiences about why religious education can be such a profound and transformative experience, and why your financial support is needed to support our religious education program. Why are you you? It's a question I've asked myself many ways over the years, along with questions like, 
What gifts will I offer the world? How can I make a difference? Will I ever belong? The biggest question for me came when I was 12 and my mother passed away. Why did this have to happen to me? Around that time, I started attending the YRUU youth group at the First Unitarian Society of Rockland County in New York. From the book of questions to being encouraged to search for my own truth, being part of YRUU easily became a pillar of my adolescence. With so many gifts offered to me by Unitarian Universalism as an adolescent, when I reached young adulthood and San Francisco in 2002, I wanted to support youth as I had been supported. So I became a youth group advisor here at UUSF with Monica Miller. For the next three years, I got to know and care for so many UU youth and their families, some of whose names I suspect may be familiar to you. <clears throat> Joe Chapeau. <laughs> we laughed made gingerbread houses, went backpacking, and had church overnights. I taught our whole lives, learned about some of my own biases and shortcomings, and in general, grew into my values enough to find or make answers to some of the most challenging questions I had for myself as a teen. Even so, why did this happen, have to happen to me loomed. In December 2005, I received a call from the parent of one of the youth group members letting me know that another youth group member, Caitlin, had a mother who was terminally ill. I listened, was touched, and made the offhand offer. If there is anything I can do to help, please let me know. My mother passed away when I was young. I know how hard that can be. I never would have guessed in that moment just what it would lead to, considering that my relationship with Caitlin was only just developing. Caitlin had joined YRUU in September of that year, having graduated from RE programming and completed the coming of age, but we only met a few times since her mother's illness impacted her ability to join weekly meetings. Memorably, Caitlin and her friend Shannon were two of the braves willing to sleep with me right here in the sleeping bags on the sanctuary floor during a YRUU overnight that fall. Folks, this space is so lovely by day, but at night, in the cold and dark, admittedly, it's a bit spooky. We three did it, though. A few days after the call from the concerned parent, I received an unexpected call from then interim minister John Robinson, asking me to consider moving in with Caitlin, as her mother had passed away. Reverend Robinson had been in communication with her legal guardians around the family's needs, Caitlin's wants, and he thought this arrangement would provide some solace to all, myself included. I thought on it, and a few days later, met Caitlin and her family in her home to start what has become one of my most rich, profound, and enduring relationships. Moved by what I learned from Caitlin about her connection with her mother, over the years, I have been inspired to cultivate and accept closeness in my own life, putting to rest the ache that came with my question, will I ever belong? Blessed with the opportunity of being there for her milestones, high school graduation, road trips, world travel and exploration, master's degree, and most recently, her 30th birthday. I have been brave enough to manage a few of my own milestones, master's degree, marriage right here at UUSF, and most recently, motherhood. Finally, I have an answer to, why did this have to happen to me? And that question, even were I to find myself asking it again someday, has been stripped of its bitter aftertaste in the sweetness that has been the last 16 years.
I know that I'm not the only one who has had a transformative experience because of religious education, and I want to make sure that we can continue providing it now and for years to come. All pledges received today, March 13th, will be included in a raffle for the prize of a three-night stay at Marty Vanderlein's Lake Tahoe Vacation Home. But regardless, please get your pledges in soon. Your contribution is indispensable for continuing life-changing religious education programs here at UUSF. Thank you.